CKUT 90.3 FM in Montreal. Uh, you are tuned into the Montreal Sessions, uh, broadcasting uh, every Tuesday from 3 to 5 p.m. This month, of course, is a special edition of the Montreal Sessions focused on the Suoni Peripopolo Festival that is taking place right now um, at Casa del Popolo, La Sala Rosa, La Vitrola, many other venues. Um, and many amazing activities taking place. And we're going to be exploring some of those on the program today. Um, to begin the show today, we heard from Jay Elise Barbara from the uh, Greatest Hits album. We heard the Wild Boys remix. Um, there's going to be a 
very special event this evening uh, called Chemistry A Vogue Ball. No, no, that's not tonight. Oh, that is not tonight. Okay. <laughs> well, we do have one of the co-founders of the festival who knows all the details uh, and is with us in studio, who's Kiva Stimak. Uh, hey there. Hey, how's it going? Oh, oh all right. <laughs> it's L playing tonight, L's black space. Okay. And so that's, so there's two different Two separate events. events. Okay. And the Chemistry Ball is on Friday. Okay, great. Uh, and so the full schedule for all events is online at swaneyperipopolo.org. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, well, I guess uh, we'll just get right into things. Um, one, one thing highlighted at the festival this year is um, a special initiative um, that is in memory of your um, late father, um, Charlie Stimak, uh, who passed away this winter. Um, and was a lifelong advocate for social justice in the arts and beyond, um, and a painter, a visual artist, uh, many other um, facets to all the things that Charlie did um, in his life. Um, so I guess maybe first to start, if you could share with us um, a bit about this um, initiative that is working to remember uh, your father's legacy and how that's part of the Swanee Peri Popolo um, festival uh, project this year. Okay. Well, I think after my dad passed away, I was talking with you specifically, and we were trying to come up with uh, something to honor his legacy, like you were saying. And uh, my dad always had a real connection to artists here in Montreal. For sure, there was a number of artists over the years who worked with us in our home as his caregiver. For example, you did, or Sam Shalabi and Lisa Gamble did, even Norsola Johnson. And Radwan even came and played music for him sometimes. Like He had a real connection, a special connection. For example, one of the artists who played a couple days ago, William Parker, even dedicated one of his albums to my dad because he was just such a good, big supporter of the arts and especially jazz music, was one of his greatest passions. I think because he was suffering from MS and uh, he was in a lot of pain, and I think music was definitely a way he could relieve some of that pain. Mm. Listening, I feel like the vibrations, especially in listening to John Coltrane, he would listen to that and do ohms and just go to another plane, you know? For, for people listening, um, could you share with us a bit about um, your, your dad and some of the... I mean, there's so many chapters in his life, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Um, but um, maybe just a bit about that relationship between social activism and the arts, which is so yep. uh, important to your, your work, Kiva, um, with Popolo Press, with Swanee Perry Popolo and many other initiatives, but... What were some sort of some of the first um, big expressions for your father, Charlie Stimak, um, in in looking at those intersections? Well, I think part of it was his life. He grew up in Detroit, and he was born in '49, so he was a young man in the late '50s, early '60s, and Detroit at that time there were. Um, race riots and he was one of the first generation where schools were desegregated and he experienced and saw all that and and the Vietnam War he um, was a conscientious objector to the Vietnam War and that's the reason why we're here in Canada and uh, he never 
he was one of those hippies who just stayed active. He never started to work for the man or anything. Um, and he spent his whole life fighting the man, I guess I would say. And uh, even when he became quite differently abled and wasn't able to physically get up and do things, he could he would still fight from within, you know? Yeah. Um, and then about his art, he is a self-taught artist, and he uh, did most of his art for trade union organizations. So he did murals for, like, the steel workers, or he, there's a union at Sick Kids Hospital. They're hospital workers, like the behind-the-scenes workers, so, like, the people who work in the cafeteria or the orderlies, and he did a mural series for them as well that's still at Sick Kids Hospital. In Toronto. Yep. And uh, he did a lot of posters for strikes and uh, different, uh, I guess, people's struggles throughout the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, ha- I have this memory of, of your dad um, trying to like explore some of the, the history uh, that you're talking about. And I, I was asking him, how was it to be, um, a dra- I use the term draft dodger. Yep. And it was, I don't know, maybe in about November or October uh, in the late fall. And he said, not draft dodger, war resistor. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'm wondering if you could talk about that a bit more, because I know it was formative for you, Kiva, um, that decision that mm-hmm. your father and many other people made. Um, of course, your father stayed active for a very long time, but in opposing the the war in Vietnam and, and how that shaped your experience um, as a family also. Yeah, well, I think he was opposed to all war and being called, you know, drafted to go to a war was against everything that he believed in. When he went underground in the United States where I was born, they went and he lived on a commune in northern Minnesota with my mom and he built an eight-sided log cabin and next to that cabin there was a elderly gentleman who was actually a conscientious objector to World War II and he would always talk about him as an example of someone who uh, that guy I can't remember his name I think he was called old man something <laughs> anyways um, see now I don't have him to ask what was that guy's name again but I digress um, he would always talk about how he went to jail for his beliefs. Uh-huh. He was a pacifist, and uh-huh. he, he didn't want to go fight in World War II. Uh-huh. And I think that really inspired my dad to stick to his guns and, well, not guns, <laughs> the opposite of guns. <laughs> um, to his principles. And, yeah. And uh, he brought that through when we came to Canada, too. He worked for long term as a... As a carpenter and a handy person just to make money, but he also ran the communist bookstore in Toronto and he did a lot of advocacy work for other groups. Um, that crossing from the United States into Canada or over this borderline that's been uh, prescribed by the governments of these uh, countries was a big decision. Um, and I think, um, from what I understand, you and him and your mom spent time together at first living underground in the United States? Yeah. Um, they were young people. He was 21 and she was 19. So, um, yeah. It was an adventure, I guess. I have no real memories of that. (laughs) But uh, I know that growing up, they never wanted to go back. Like, they never felt... I don't think... I think once they came to Canada and they realized they could live here and 
there was health care and daycare and all these things that they didn't have in Detroit. They didn't see a reason to go back to Detroit. Mm-hmm. What, one thing I remember Charlie talking about was also um, interacting with the organization Students for a Democratic Society, mm-hmm. um, which really illustrated uh, how this wasn't just a choice of dodging the draft, but was an act of political choice. Yeah, for sure. And I think after, you know, when Reagan got elected and all these other things happened in the States, I think they looked back at the States and were like, (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. I think they they found people here. They found family. Because my mother's family was here too. And I think I feel more Canadian than anything else. Mm -hmm. There there was a lot of... um, Posters and poster art. You you make posters, of course, Kiva, mm-hmm. uh, through Popolo Press, um, and all the amazing posters that people um, uh, see uh, for Swanee Park Popolo. Um, your dad also worked on posters. Uh, I mean, a few that come to mind, given what we were talking about, um, are some works that were expressing uh, solidarity with struggles against U.S. military intervention in Central America in the 1980s, uh, also a poster in solidarity with Palestine um, and in support of Palestinian human rights, which in the 1980s wasn't talked about in the same way as it is today. Um, yeah, could you share a bit about some of this work and, and how, and, and also how um, that impacted you as an artist, as an engaged artist? Okay, that's a lot of questions. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, Well, he definitely always had a passion for, you know, justice and the underdog. And he had a big heart and he was an outgoing person. And I think that he connected with people on a real um, personal level. So when he saw suffering anywhere, he wanted to fight against what was causing that suffering. And he made real connections through running the bookstore in Toronto and being, like, he was an activist. He was out at marches every week, and he had connections. He spent some time in Cuba, too. Like, he was very, when he was young and able-bodied, he was very out there on the streets, you know? I don't know. I was young, so I can't speak to all the different groups that he worked with, but I know that there was always somebody in our house visiting from Africa or Cuba or somewhere. (laughs) And you joined a lot of demonstrations with Uh, with your dad I think I was dragged but (laughs) (laughs) I think now I look back and I know it was a good thing but you know sometimes I just wanted to do you have any memories of that of course of course any you would like to share Uh, of being in marches yeah my favorite one I think was always the women's day march in Toronto I remember that being a big one in the 70s and early 80s nice um and uh, in terms of uh, your father's work, uh, I know that at, at, at a later point in his life, you and your dad actually collaborated on some, on, some, on some work and also attempts to express a lot of these political ideas that you've been talking about that Charlie Stimak uh, expressed through his artwork. Um, um, you worked with him. Uh, so I, I'm wondering... How was that to work with your your dad and also grapple with um, I, I, one thing that comes to mind is just his will and his focus mm-hmm. to find his voice despite you know struggling with um, 
different abilities just despite struggling with illness um i'm wondering if you could share any reflections on that well he would tell me what to do (laughs) (laughs) pretty much like i want you to do this do it that way i don't like it yeah he was very like he wanted i mean at a certain point he uh couldn't use his hands anymore to paint and he was a painter so that was i think frustrating and he became less sighted so it was harder for him to see like details so at a certain point he made me reproduce some of his silk screens that were maybe like 12 by 18 pieces and he made me reproduce them like four by six feet wow. <laughs> so he could see them wow which we still have and it was a fun experience it was definitely a bonding time wow and that's in montreal they're here now but yeah. we did that in victoria because oh, he left out west then and he moved to Montreal in, in which year? Oh gosh, I can't remember. I feel like it's been 15 years. Okay. Oh. So in the early 2000s. Yep. Not, not long after you opened Casanova. No, Hopefully. I feel like it was five years after we opened. Which wow. kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, y- your father uh, also um, uh, continued to uh, uh, have relationship with, you know, a lot of artists in the city as you mentioned um i'm wondering if you could talk about um this effort to try to remember charlie um through uh, sort of a memorial foundation um and you've you've chosen to work with one artist this year um could you talk about that choice and why it was important for you okay um after my dad died we raised a little bit of money not very much money, but enough that it would make a difference to somebody. Um, so I had this little fund, and during I wanted to give it to an artist during Swanee, um, somebody who we could give a night to at the festival who could curate a night with other artists that they like as well, and uh, somebody who I found, or also who my dad would find, I guess, inspiring and... Uh, Mm-hmm. inspiring yes I guess and who was you know using their artistic form to question things and um, have a relationship with different you know intersections of not just the music but politics or different other things anyways and uh, part of the fund is the money but I, I also would like I see it more as like a launching ground for a young artist so we're going to give this year, because it's a musician, we're um, gonna give them a recording of their work, which we already did, and uh, packaging for that recording that I can help them print at Popolo Press. And then um, there's a professional photographer who can do either a video or a photo shoot for them. And then we can take that package, and then with Peter, who's our grant writer for Swony, can help them apply for grants and I see it sort of as a launching pad for an emerging artist. And and who is the artist that you've oh, chosen? Sorry. And, and, and also why that was important. Thank you. The artist this year is Eliza Caution, and she's a guitarist and musician who also uses found sounds and stuff in her work. And uh, she's from Kanasatake First Nations. Um, I She played Lux Magna this year, the festival that we had at um, Sala Rosa. And she blew me away. And as I was listening to her play and uh, watching the piece, I felt 
that my dad's spirit would have totally been there with her and wanted to support something like that. I could see him going up to her after the show and, you know, connecting. And uh, the, the, the foundation also is aiming to highlight the work of artists uh, who are working and living with disability. Um, I'm wondering if you could highlight the importance of that and also the ways that your your father worked to um, to uh, express um, both political ideas but also artistic ideas um, in the face of disability. Okay. Well, I think one of the first things he would say is that he wasn't disabled. He was differently abled. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's important. I think someone like Eliza would say something like that too. I think... Oftentimes when we're talking about ableism, especially as able-bodied people ourselves, we forget that it's, you know, another, it's just another way of being in the world. Mm-hmm. And I think the one thing that my dad, living with somebody who was so differently abled, like in the end, as you know, he couldn't move at all and he was having problems speaking and seeing, but he was still in there always, the core of who he was was consistent the whole way through and through all the pain the chronic pain and um the because ms is like a shorting of your system your nervous system and the loss of his abilities he would always be able to make me laugh and to make me see the beauty in the world and his favorite word was sublime (laughs) to see the sublime in all things and one of those things that he would always see the sublime in is music, for sure. And um, I, 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 I have a lot of memories of him really appreciating like different colors and shadows and the, the, the way that light would sheen off different images that were in his room. And it really made me often think about his artistic sensibilities mm-hmm. as a painter. I think he was definitely color was very important and the use of color especially at the end of the time when he could paint he would do um, color studies of a lot of nature of the woods Mm -hmm. I think um, he grew up in the woods and he spent a lot of time in the bush and that was just where he felt the most comfortable and would see it maybe differently like where we would just see green trees he would see purples and blues and oranges Mm -hmm. all mixing together and uh, actually, his interaction with uh, nature um, and the forest, especially around Michigan, and then later in Minnesota, and then also in Ontario, played a big part of his life. And also, I think his relationship to issues around environmentalism and the land and indigenous rights. Um, yeah, for sure. I think if you are in the bush and you feel it and you experience it for real, you can't not want to do something to preserve it. And you were actually born uh, in, in, in the bush, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, literally. Yep. In the, in the cabin that your father and friends constructed? My mom and my dad. They built an eight-sided log cabin. They're very proud of it. That's part of the reason we ended up in Canada was because it was such a remarkable cabin that the media came by, the local newspaper, and my dad being yeah proud didn't give them a fake name like John Smith or John Doe. He was like Charles Sternack. And then they got found out and they had to come to 
Canada. Wow. Was it fast? Like the whole... It was pretty fast. I think they stayed with my grandparents in northern Michigan first, but then they came pretty much right... Yep. Wow. And they, they came to Canada as refugees? They were... I think at that point, they were still letting people in as conscientious objectors oh. to the Vietnam War. Canada had an open border for that at the time. Wow. So... Um, Kiva, you work on so many projects, it's unbelievable. And I, I know that you have to get back to Casa del Popolo soon for cooking for some of the artists tonight yeah. at, at uh, Swanee Festival. Um, but you work on the posters, the programming, the, 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 the whole vision. Um, I mean, how, how did um, the spirit and the force of... of your father and also and also your your mother, um, who was also involved in activism, inform and shape what you do now. Um, a lot of the time, I find like the way that um, mainstream media talks about. I mean, most talks about art and artists. It's very individualized and re removed from like that intergenerational process and learning. Mm -hmm. um, I'm wondering if you could share anything with us about how the past generation for you has driven you and, and, and pushed you forward in, in working on these huge initiatives that so many people in Montreal know about, but perhaps maybe don't know some of the personal story. I think definitely my folks and Moro's folks and our community too, they were all inspirations. Um, yeah, I don't think we would be doing what we do without our you know own personal life histories and I think part of why we're able to do what we do which is I guess in a way very DIY you know we're not doing it with I mean at this point we do get some grant funding and we do work with a lot of partners like record local record labels and CKUT and but in the beginning I found what we did was there was just this storefront that we heard was available and we were like, okay, let's do something with that. Um, I was a cook at the time and more always a musician and there weren't any venues really to play where you didn't have to pay to play a venue. So we just said, let's try it. Let's see. We had uh, one credit card with, I think, a $2,000 spending limit. <laughs> and uh, we had like no money and we didn't really know what we were doing. But we started, we went in there and we started doing the minor renovations we had to do to get our permits and uh, people just were walking by. I think you were one of those people who walked by and was like, what are you guys doing in there? I'm an artist. I like uh, doing things. And you helped us build a wall, I think. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You remember? Uh-huh. <laughs> and like, a lot of the people who we are now still working with, if you look at our list of partners, were some of those people who just walked in and were like, what are you guys doing in there? Like, ah, oh, we're thinking of having some music and some sandwiches, selling some beer. And um, part of that is that kind of do-it-yourself mentality of the hippie generation and the back-to-the-land self-sufficiency. You grow your own garden, you make your own pickles, all that stuff. You build your own house. I think that was, you know, part of what makes me just try things. But also, um, moral comes from an Italian background where it's the same thing but in a more traditional way <laughs> and uh um, then just the community of montreal like and it's i the one thing i always stress is that it's not one community that i feel like works 
with us or who has wanted to work in some way in the arts with us. It's like so many different communities have come and either performed on our stages or used our spaces. And I'm always so inspired by the variety and the diversity of what's here in Montreal and what can come through Montreal too. One, one thing that really comes to mind is uh, a word that's coming to my mind is uh, compassion and mm -hmm. solidarity. Um, I, I wanted to ask you about this because um, a lot of uh, the ideas that Casado Popolo and Swoni Peri Popolo Festival have expressed over the years are about solidarity, uh, are about compassion, are about uh, coming together. Um, in this time where we see, um, you know, a lot of um, use of individual social media and a lot of, you know, um, sort of the deconstruction of like uh, these notions of community uh, in a lot of ways. I'm, I'm wondering if you could just reflect on uh, um, any, anything you have to say about like the importance of solidarity and, and, and compassion in, in, in the work that, that you're doing um, and how that's guided you and uh, the challenges you faced also. Big questions. Yeah, those are big, that's a lot. I'm thinking, how <laughs> would I answer that? Well, one thing that happened this year was that I, well, a bunch of us saw Milford Graves talk and we were just talking about that before we got together with Louise here. And that was a, a, like a reignition, a re-inspiration for that kind of compassion and just having that spirit inside you. Because I think a lot of times um, you get uh, like beaten down by the struggle, you know, like why am I doing this? What am I doing this for? Do people even care or appreciate it? Or is it, um, are people seeing it as something like I'm taking up too much space or something, you know, because we do do a lot of stuff and we do work with a lot of people and, um, we have been doing it a long time. <laughs> so what is our role? And I think as long we're just trying to do what we do as honestly and as like open-heartedly as possible. Um, it's not definitely a money-making venture in any way. We both have other jobs that actually pay the bills. Well, it's actually a money losing. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, let's you, not say that publicly. Well, I mean, you, 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 <laughs> yeah, put, yeah. you put a lot of resources out for this festival. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think we're sustaining it in ways that maybe other... Like, we've been around 18 years now, right? Like, that's a while. It's gone by pretty fast, but a lot of things come and go, you know? And I think it still feels fresh. There's still new people to work with and new um, interesting things that are going on here that I still find refreshing, in a way, that need a space, that need a voice, that I want to see uplifted. For example, like Eliza or... Some of the shows we're working on in this Swanee this year, maybe we don't get hundreds of people out to see the shows, but the 40 people or the 20 people who come, their minds get blown because mm -hmm. some, there's some really amazing things still going on. For example, the show tonight at Vitrola is going to be out of control. Tell us about it. <laughs> 
Well, it's well. There's a band coming from Cleveland called Morning of Black Star that are this multi generational. I don't know how to describe them. They're amazing. Just come. And then El Barra's Black Space, of course, another amazing project that's local. And what else is going on tonight? I know the Young Mothers are here, which is a like a free jazz ensemble, and uh, they're playing with some people from uh, Portugal, actually, who are also pretty incredible. And there's modern dance at Salarosa, contemporary dance. Sorry, not modern. Wow. So I think it's gonna. And then uh, in the basement of the sala, there's gonna be some straight up. Uh, Electronic rock and roll? I don't know what it is, actually. <laughs> There's so much happening yeah, every yeah. night at Swanee Perry Popolo. We're in studio with Kiva Stimak uh, of Swanee Perry Popolo and Popolo Press. And today um, we are hearing about the festival in general, but this was really an opportunity to talk about your your late father, uh, Charles Charlie Stimak, um, and a foundation uh, that has been set up to remember uh, him and his work. Um, so I, anything else well, you'd like to mention? Well, if anybody wants to apply for the fund for next year, I'm hoping to do a number of benefits to raise some money and then um, to grow the fund itself. And then, so I was thinking it could be not just a musician, but could be a visual artist or a dancer or a poet, any kind of artist I'm open to. Um, somebody definitely who uses social activism in their work and who has a a political bent to what they're trying to make and also if anybody wants to donate that would be great too mm-hmm. and uh, think about um, ways to uh, uplift the young artists in this community Kiva thanks so much for coming by no problem thank you really appreciate it This is um, the Montreal Sessions on CKUT 90.3 FM. Do keep it locked. Uh, We'll be with you until 5 p.m. highlighting the Swanee Perry Popolo Festival. Um, And this is a track that uh, Charlie Stimak loved. Thank you. 
Thank you. 